Shabbat Shalom. How is everybody? Oh, one person's happy. <laughs> hallelujah, we got two people. I'll take the hallelujah all day long. Hallelujah, right? Awesome. Well, I just pulled up the bulletin and realized what Ephraim did with his uh, title uh, today. Apparently, he has seen a Hugh Jackman movie in the uh, not, so, uh, not so recent past. So today's story is the greatest story ever told. And uh, I'm guessing he's going to talk about Yeshua, considering the fact that the stone was rolled away. So uh, let's real quickly go through some announcements. Um, for those of you who kept Pesach last night, uh, Hag Sameach to you. For those who are keeping it tonight, Hag Sameach to you. For those who are keeping it tomorrow night, Hag Sameach to you. And for those of you who are on some other calendar, Hag Sameach to you. So uh, just like Easter, we were talking about there, Easter is tomorrow for the uh, Christian church and then the Eastern European Christian church is a whole nother week later. So uh, I thought it was just Messianics or Hebrew Roots who did this, but apparently it is not. So we're all just a little weird and I'm okay with that. So um, if you have not picked up a bulletin, please do. Uh, on the bulletin, it gives more information on our small groups. I know we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, but we are meeting throughout the week. Uh, we have the single ladies group that meets. We have the married couples uh, that meet. We have the uh, book of James study, and we also have the how to study uh, the scriptures book as well. So more information on all those small groups. Uh, go ahead and read that in there. Um, April 14th, just after Unleavened Bread, we have John Diffenderfer will be here as our guest speaker. He is the pastor of uh, Mercy Collective in Nashville. Um, also want to remind everybody the next two weeks, please don't bring anything with leaven uh, for Oneg. Um, you know, I know everybody, there's different calendars and HFF doesn't take a calendar, but let's just be respectful of everybody in that time um, and not bring any leaven uh, for Oneg the next two weeks. Um, but do bring food. Um, food is good. You can't really have an Oneg without food. And sometimes we have Oneg with little food. So, um, a lot of hungry mouths to feed, so let's make sure to do that. Men's prayer breakfast is April 15th. That will be at Monty Judah's home. Um, so if you need directions to that, it's in the bulletin. Uh, ladies' prayer meeting is April 22nd at the Frickers' house. Um, so please uh, plan on being a part of that. Uh, it's going to be a great time of fellowship. Um, we also have some outreach opportunities coming up. Uh, Sunday, April 8th, which is next Sunday, correct, uh, at the Grace Living Center uh, at 10 a.m. They're going to do a devotional time. If you play piano, they're looking for somebody to help kind of lead some worship uh, who plays piano. There's a piano there. So, um, Kayla Musson, I'm not signing you up or anything, but I am saying that I, you know how to sing and play piano. So, you should probably see the Drews. Um, but we're going to have a fellowship time uh, over there. Uh, Wednesday, the 25th of April at 4.30, they're also going to do uh, the city rescue mission again and serve the less fortunate. So uh, once again, please see Stephen and Leisha Drews. Uh, if you have any questions on that, would like to sign up and be a part of that. Uh, it's a really great time during the spring feast to give back to, to someone else. Uh, today's teachers are Gage Diffie's doing our first five, and Ephraim is, uh, is doing the greatest story ever told. Um, 
We're going to go ahead. We're going to stand up, give people, uh, people are still funneling in here. For those of you who stayed up all night last night keeping Pesach, um, we've got a pretty fast-paced worship service for you this morning just to make sure that you don't fall back asleep. And so, um, yeah, you know, I thought about that. You know, think, I try to think of everything. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But let's go ahead, stand up. Let's greet one another, say Shabbat Shalom, and then we're going to start in a time of prayer and get into worship. Shabbat Shalom. <clears throat> if I can get everybody to mosey back to their seats. I bet you haven't heard that word in a long time. Mosey. spend a little bit of time here in prayer. Uh, let me share a few things before we do that. We were praying a couple weeks ago for Daniel and for his job, and he had a, uh, a good job interview this past week, and so we just need to keep praying, and uh, he's not sure what the outcome's going to be and when the decision will be made, but let's pray that uh, God's will be done in that, and and that uh, Daniel gets that job. Also, well, we're going to pray for Rosemarie this morning. Uh, we've been praying for her and Patrick. She fell this week and is really bruised up, can hardly move. She's on a lot of pain medication, and so we need to pray for her. But we also need to pray for Patrick as he takes care of her. So they're not here this morning. So I've asked the elders to come down here and to pray, lead, lead us in prayer for Rosemarie. You need to. And we're gonna, we've been praying for Patrice and her knee, and uh, we need to keep praying for her too.
we're missing one third of our power. <laughs> All right, let's uh, go before the Father with these needs. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how good you are to us, how faithful you are, how you have rescued us from our slavery. You have set us free from our bondage. You have delivered us from our captivity. You have brought us into a good land. You have been our benefactor. You have been our guide. You have led us and strengthened us. You have sustained us and brought us sustenance when we were hungry, drink when we were thirsty. You have done so many good things for us. And we are so grateful. And we are thank you, thanking you today for the praise report we hear of how Daniel will be uh, in a job interview this week. And we pray for your favor and your blessing there that you would cover him, that he would uh, have a wonderful interview, that he would receive the, the position. And may we hear another praise report and honor you with that in the coming weeks. Father, we also pray for Patrice as she is continuing to struggle to deal with this injury that uh, happened at work. May your hand be upon her. You have heard us praying in the past for her, and we continue to beseech you on her behalf and ask that you would do a mighty work, not only in her knee, but in all the paperwork issues and the doctors and everything else that needs to fall in place so that she can be provided for during this time. Father, you know the struggle she is going through and how it's humbled her during this time. And we pray that she would draw closer to you during this, this trial. That it would be a strengthening of her faith. Father, we pray the same for Rosemarie as she has, has fallen this week and is in very bad physical condition. We pray that that physical condition would not change alter or influence her spiritual condition, her emotional condition in any fashion, but instead that she would be joyful through all things, that she would seek you and know that she is in your hands and that you are in control. And Father, we pray that you would begin to mend her body and to heal her from the, all the bruises and the, the uh, trauma that her body has suffered through this fall. Father, you know that she has struggled in the last several years with all the physical ailments. We pray that you would grant her joy and peace, that she would be lifted up beyond her physical circumstances, and that she would take joy in you during this time, a season of joy in which we celebrate our freedom in you. Father, we pray that you would also lighten the heart of Patrick as he is uh, working very hard to meet every need he can physically for Rosemary, that you would be an encouragement to them. Lord, we submit all these requests to you this day. We ask that your presence would move now on behalf of our requests, and that as a good and a faithful father, that you would meet the needs of your children. And we will praise you through it. We will honor you in all the reports that we hear back, whether they meet our expectations or not, we will praise you through it all. For you are king. You are sovereign. You alone are mighty. And we pray this in the name of your son, Yeshua, our king, our prince. Amen. So we have, I'm just going to take 
take a second since we came out of prayer. So if that's okay with you guys. All right, good. Thanks. Uh, so the Rabinos are back. And uh, there's one additional member to the Rabino family who um, I guess is, is back there. And what's his name? Jasper. So we have little baby Jasper. Can everybody say hi? All right, now give us some information. When, we, when was he born? And oh my goodness, he's so handsome. Hi, buddy. Hi. So January 21st, he was born. And he was eight pounds, seven ounces. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, we were talking about names for Jasper. And uh, if you will, if you crack open a concordance and, and look for the name Jasper, you'll find it several places in scripture. Uh, one of them is that it's one of the stones on the breastplate of the high priest. And it's uh, one of the foundation stones of the city of New Jerusalem when it comes down. Uh, and so there were just some cool references to, uh, to this stone, Jasper, and we thought it was a really cool name as well. It's a very so, cool name. Yeah, and, and I know we've been uh, gone for a while, but uh, it's good to see those of you that we can see today. Yes. And so it's a blessing to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you guys back. Hi, buddy. Hi, welcome. Hi, he's so handsome. Oh, he's got some big eyes. Hi. Well, one thing we like at HFF more than uh, loud screeching is, uh, is cute little babies. And so we're glad to have you guys here with us, all three of you little guys. And then Jasper, welcome. And uh, it's good to have the Rabinos back. Um, let's go ahead. Let's stand up and let's get ready to uh, worship the Father today. Forever, he's 
sought me and bought me with his redeemer. He loved me and I knew him and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, victory in Shua, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew it and all my love is to Him. He plunged me me in glory and heard about the streets of gold beyond that crystal sea about the angels of that old redemption story and some sweet day I'll sing of there the song of victory oh victory Jesus, my Savior forever, He sought me and bought me with His redeeming love. He loved me and I knew it, and all my love is due. He punched me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me and I knew it And I love is He plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing blood Hallelujah! For Father, we know that there is victory in you, that you have overcome the grave. You have overcome and conquered sin and death. And there is power. There is power in Yeshua. There is power, power, wonderful power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonderful power in the precious blood of the From your burden of sin, there's power in the blood, there's power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power. 
free from your passion and pride There's power in the blood, power in the blood Come for the cleansing to Calvary's high There's wonderful power in the blood There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious From your passion and pride There's power in the blood Power in the blood Come for the cleansing to Calvary's time There's wonderful power in the blood There is power, power Wonder-working power In the blood of the Lamb There is power, power Wonder-working power In the precious blood of the Lamb Service for the shoe of your king. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily your praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the land. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the land. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the land. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the land. In the precious blood of the land. In the precious blood of the land. Hallelujah, Father, for we know that there is power. There is power to conquer sin and death. There is power in you, Father. During the season of spring feast, Father, during the Pesach, there's power in the blood. There's power to lead us out of slavery. There's power to conquer death. There's power for healing. For you alone, Lord, are worthy of the praise. For you alone, Lord, are the power. Father, during this season, this remembrance, this memorial, Father, Lead us back to that place in history, Father, where you overcame the grave.
and did what no one else could do. Savior, I come, quiet my soul. Remember, redemption's hell. Your blood will spill for my ransom, and everything wants help you. I count it all as us. Lead me to the cross when you're poured out. To my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rip me of myself, I belong to you. Holy. Tempted and tried, human the word became flesh, born by sin and death. Now you're
of Pesach, Father, when Yeshua was sitting with the twelve, Father, at that table was a doubter, a betrayer, yet you still stood and said, this is my body, this is my blood. Father, may we not forget the example that you set for us. May we not forget the importance to see each other through the eyes and the lens that you see. For Father, our judgment is flawed. Our righteousness is fake. It's only by the blood of Yeshua that we can come and enter into your presence. It's only by the blood of Yeshua 
that we can be called yours. Our righteousness is found in your righteousness. For Father, you have never lied, you have never cheated. You have been the same since creation. Father, during this season of Pesach, this time of unleavened bread, and then the counting of the days into the feast of Shavuot. May we turn our eyes to Yeshua. May we turn our heart to you. May we count the blessings in our life, not the failures. May we count the blessings of our friendships, our families, and not the ones who we have lost. May we remember all that you have done for us while still loving our enemies, while still lifting up those in need. And say with a joyful heart, it would have been sufficient. It would have been sufficient for you to lead our forefathers out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. But you didn't stop there. It would have been sufficient for you to give them water when they were thirsty in the wilderness. But you didn't stop there. And just like our forefathers we continue to complain. We continue to picker. We continue to think of the things we don't have or the things we think you should do. And during this season, may that not be our heart, Father. May our heart be one of gratitude, one of adoration for all the things that you have done for us. May we not judge others in a way that we would not want to be judged ourselves. For as Yeshua broke the bread and drank the wine with the disciples, he did so in the midst of knowing that one would betray him. And yet the love of you, our creator, did not exclude. During the season, Father, May we focus on the greatest event to revolutionize a way back to you, the resurrection and death of Messiah. For it's in the name of Yeshua, our Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Hope everyone is having a good, restful Shabbat um, so far. Um, the Torah portion this week, because this is a feast day, the Torah portion actually doesn't, it's not really a Torah portion, it's simply a smaller portion of scripture about Passover, and that's going to be in Exodus 12, 21 through 51. And today, I just kind of wanted to speak on something 
that I think is easily passed over um, pass on Passover. Um, I don't think y'all caught that. Or maybe I just really stink at jokes. Um, but, <laughs> but whether you've celebrated Passover already or not, I think this is something that has just always been on my heart and that I've always really enjoyed about this congregation. And I'm going to read from Exodus 12, verse 24 through 28. If you have your Bibles, you can join me. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and for your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Now, in this little um, section of scripture here, it says, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? And I think that this very simple fact of inviting our children to participate in the Passover and teaching them about the Passover and not just rehearsing it for ourselves is a very significant principle all throughout the Torah. The emphasis on teaching children is very prevalent, and it's emphasized in the Ve'ahavta, which follows the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your t- children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you rise up. So, this Passover, I just, I just really want to emphasize that whether, whether we are in rigorous study about what day it is and the calendar issues or what is really leaven, all those things... All those things are really secondary issues if we're not going to put... They're secondary issues, and what should be first is the fact of keeping the Passover and the fact of teaching our children to keep the Passover in general and teach them what is it about. It's about our freedom. It's about our redemption and God moving us out of spiritual Egypt as well as teaching in the history of God moving our ancestors out of Egypt. And so I would just encourage you to invite your children to participate in maybe a way that you have not let them participate in the past. Get them involved. This is, this is a sacred teaching moment. This is a commandment to teach these things to our children. This is a sacred time. And it's a sacred moment where we can invite our children to participate in what we're doing and in doing that, they can fulfill the commandment as well. So again, it's a rather simple principle, but I just wanted to emphasize it, that we remember that very important fact this Passover. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your feast days. Thank you for your Sabbath. Thank you for, thank you for your time. Thank you that we can be in accordance with your time and not our own time. Thank you for a day such as Sabbath 
which acts as a resistance to the culture that says we must work for more, we must spend more money, and we must accumulate more things. Thank you that the very act of keeping the Sabbath is a resistance to that culture of more, more, more. May we find ourselves within your narrative, Father, and the ethics of your kingdom. This Passover, may we really invite and really engage with our children and teach them diligently, and may we be good, good and faithful stewards, Lord. We pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. I would now like to invite the children up. It's a good transition. May we be as excited about touching the hem of his garment. (laughs) Father, we thank you for the enthusiasm that children display. As we grow older, we become jaded and critical, and we lose that enthusiasm. Forgive us, Father, for becoming cynical as we learn more. Instead, may these children lead us. May their enthusiasm, their joy, their unabashed love for you guide us as we are tasked with the role of guiding them. Father, we surrender these children to you. We pray that you would raise them up to be leaders within this community, leaders within your community. Father, may they be that generation that gets to see the land as they go through the the wilderness with us in our journey. May they be able to enter that good land and praise you and to have Passover in your land. Father, we ask that your hand would be upon the young men. May they be like Ephraim and Manasseh. May they be fruitful. May they multiply in everything that they apply themselves to. May you have your hand upon the young ladies. May they be like Ruth and Esther. May they be known by their testimony of faith in you and their steadfastness as they cling to you and to your people all the days of their lives. Father, we thank you for the exuberance that these children show and the joy that they show in you. We ask that that would always be the hallmark of their faith. In your name, we pray these things. And in the name of your son, Yeshua, amen. We have a kids class, ages four through 12. You're dismissed. Hope you have a wonderful time.
Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I don't know if you picked up on this, but we have a little bit of a Yeshua vibe going on in the service today, which is certainly not a bad thing. You know, one of the things that here in the Messianic movement, Hebrew Roots movement, you know, we have a, there's a lot of things that people say about those that believe this way, not only in the salvation of Yeshua the Messiah, but also in the Torah and the commandments and all of those things. And there's those that just seem to not understand that. They can't decide one way or the other. In fact, we've been accused of many things. You go search Hebrew roots on the internet and you're not going to find the best things sometimes. And I know many of us, whenever we've gone and, and shared our new belief, our new faith, and the new walk that we're in, we get a kind of the response we weren't hoping for from friends, from family, that kind of thing. If you're a Christian and come into the movement, then it's like, oh, are you just trying to be Jewish? If you grew up Jewish, then it's like, well, you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus at the same time, so I guess you might as well just go attend Sunday church. And they accuse the Hebrew Roots movement of being just a transitional state from being, if you're Jewish, it transitions you to being Christian, and if it's Christian, it transitions you into being Jewish. Let me share with you from my heart, having been in this walk of life for a number of years, as long as I can remember, that the Hebrew Roots Movement is not a transitional state. It is a destination and an arrival at the belief that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament, is the same God who put himself into a physical body and who walked among us in the first century. And that we look to the New Testament and we don't see contradictions from the New Testament to the Old or vice versa. But we arrive at the belief that God is one and whole and he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, whether it's the ancient Near East or with Abraham or with Moses or with King David, and he's the same God when Yeshua walked the earth and with the apostles and with the disciples into this day. He's the same God. We might just call it the Hebrew Roots Movement or the Messianic Movement for lack of a better term. Many of us have to kind of come up with new terms or describe truly what it is. But that at its core is what we believe. When we come into these understanding of of past uh, instructions of the past, keeping the Torah, the commandments, the sacrifices, all of those things... Some of us get so deep into the word and into the knowledge that we do forget what our first love was and is. We forget that. Got a good friend of ours, a friend of this congregation, that was accused of too many of his sermons. His sermons have too much Yeshua in them. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as too much of the ever-living God and his presence and his salvation and the story and what he did for us, there's no, no such thing as too much of that being put into our ears and for us to remember that and remember that story. My message today, I entitled it, The Greatest Story Ever Told. It was a movie that was from back in the 60s that actually critically wasn't very well received. It was more distracting than anything because it had a ton of cameos of a bunch of really famous Hollywood actors. But it was the story of Yeshua walking the earth. 
And all these cameos came and, and, and came and went in the course of the story, and it became very distracting. But the director did say one thing that he wanted to do, was that the actor that played Yeshua, he wanted to not be somebody that was easily recognized. Because he did want, his heart was in the right place to want that story and the essence of the story to be about the Messiah and the Son of God. The greatest story ever told. It's kind of bold for me to say that. If there's any inadequacies in this message today, let me assure you, it is the greatest story ever told. I'm just not the greatest storyteller that ever lived. So if there's any inadequacies, that's on me. See, because in the beginning, God created the world. And science is always at conflict with that. That God created the world. No, we came, came from something, a big bang. There had to be something there that created the world. Because science will tell you, you can't create something from nothing. I actually agree. I don't believe God created the world from nothing. I believe he created the world from the only something that existed, and that was himself. Because science will go in and will look at the cellular structure and get down in there. And the problem is with science is there's certain things they can't explain. That within the, structure, the cellular structure, there is an irreducible complexity that they cannot explain. This causes many scientists to believe in intelligent design. Now they don't confess a belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or the God of the Bible. But they do, some of them, many are ostracized. And then you don't hear anything from them anymore because then they're not considered scientists anymore, if they believe that there is an intelligent designer who put something into our DNA and into our cellular structure that science can't explain. I believe that is the essence of God, the complexity and the power of God that he put into everything of creation. We have a, an example of God taking of himself and putting it into something else. So when the New Testament rolls around, and we have the story of a man named Yeshua who was born, who walked the earth, who was proclaimed as the Messiah. And then today, people want to say, oh, he can't be God. He was just a man. He can't be God. That, 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 that can't, that, they can't be one and the same. Even though he said out of his own mouth, I and the Father are one, we can't seem to grasp or understand that. However, I believe that there's a part of God in all of creation. So why in the world can he not put his, the essence of who he is, his soul and his spirit, into a physical body? I submit to you that he can. When we look at ourselves and we have a body, a soul, and a spirit, I believe God has a body, soul, and a spirit. And I believe that body is the body of Yeshua, the Messiah. See, because he was, it's described in the Gospels, he was the word that became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became the flesh. If the word was God, then God became the flesh. So when he shows up and starts walking, suddenly miracles start to happen. There's power in the things that he says and the things that he does. That when he's born, there's Stars in the heavens that lead wise men from far places to know something has happened. 
And that as he grows, the, his life was sought by, by a king, by a ruler, and he had to flee in safety. And there's all these patterns and parallels to things that God already did in the past, such as with Moses. And there are patterns and parallels to those things, but none like Yeshua the Messiah, none like Yeshua of Nazareth. When he began his ministry, he didn't look like somebody that would be a Messiah, would be a king. He humbled himself. He walked amongst the people. He brought himself low so that we had something to see, to hear, to listen to. He traded his robes of majesty for robes of humility. In the scripture, in the Torah, as we study the Torah in our walk, we see the same example played out with Aaron the high priest. He only wore the beautiful garments of majesty in the service of the tabernacle. When he left the tabernacle, he walked among the people and dressed as they did. In the same way that when the Messiah is in heaven, serving at the right hand of the Father, and when he has that power, he is clothed in robes of majesty. But when he came to the earth, he brought himself low and humbled himself. Appearing as a man. When he taught the word, when he actually spoke, he began his ministry. And at first, we read in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, we read that he healed many people, that he ministered in many synagogues, and healed many people, and many people gathered from all over. And he had already done a great deal of miraculous healings. But our ministry and our record begins in Matthew chapter 5, really, of when he stood and he spoke. When he spoke words for the Sermon on the Mount, when he began with the Beatitudes, things that had never been heard before by people. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He spoke to the spirit and the heart of the people. Not as a man speaks, not as a man shares the words of the law and of the instruction to just repeat the words on the page. No, he spoke to the heart of the individual, to the person who might stand there and say, I keep the commandments, I do what is instructed in the synagogues, but why do I still hurt? Why do I still struggle? Why is my spirit in pain? Why is my soul in pain? He comes and he speaks to their spirit. If you're poor in spirit, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you're meek or if you're humble, you're the peacemakers. These are not the people that stand, out, stand up and people look to follow and are, and are mesmerized by. They're the ones, they're the poor of the brethren. They're the quiet ones. And he speaks to them and he lifts them up from amongst the crowd. He speaks to the heart. He continues on in the sermon. He says this. He says, you've heard it said, thou shall not commit murder. That's what the letter of the law says. But I say to you, man who hates his brother in his heart has already committed murder. He's speaking to the spirit and to the heart, not just what's physically happening. And he says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But he says, no, if a man slaps you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. Walk with him another mile. 
You've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery, but if a man looks lustfully at another woman, he's committed adultery in his heart. It's not just about the actions that you take, but it's what's truly on the inside of who you are and what you believe. That's what he spoke to. He spoke in parables, concepts and understandings and things that cause one to look inside themselves and learn these things. Not just doing what some man has told them, what some other man-made religion has told them to think and believe and to do, but for them to actually learn and listen to the spirit inside of them so that God's spirit might dwell inside them and they would listen to that. He healed a great number of people. Before I get to that, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were mesmerized by the way he spoke. He said he spoke with authority. Let me go ahead and read here. Verse 28 of chapter 7. He says, and so it was that Yeshua had ended the sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. As one having authority. The root word of that is author. He spoke as if he was the author of those words. I believe Yeshua, that he was, he was the author of those words. He was teaching the Torah. He says, you've heard it said, eye for eye. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's teaching on the Torah because, and he spoke, and then he elaborates on those things, and he spoke as if he wrote those words and explained them to the people. He did this later as well when he spoke in parables. He told the parable of the sower. And then he spelled it out for the, for the disciples, and he explained what the parable of the sower meant. When the seed fell on the stony place, it represents somebody that was joyful when they heard it, yet they had no roots and no foundation. But you pray that you be as the seed that falls in the good place that is then watered and nurtured and produces great fruit. He explained these things because he was the author of the original concept and then he's walking the earth physically for us to hear the explanation. He healed a great number of people. Many, we have many recordings of him healing the people and casting out demons. He cast out demons. He approached men who were demon-possessed. And they said, they mocked him and they said, oh, you're the son of God. Wait a minute. Even the demons knew that he was the son of God. Even the demons believed in him. And all he had to do and say was, go, and they left. They pleaded with him the story where they say, there's a herd of swine, send us to the swine. So he sends them to the swine, and then the swine promptly kill themselves. That was, it's a funny story. That's why I kind of crack up at that one. That's not, I don't think that's what the demons thought was going to happen, but even the demons believed. But then he healed people, people who were in need of healing, people that were hurting. And miraculously, they became healed. What is it? that happens when somebody is healed. True, like uh, layman's explanation, what is it that when you're healed, what is the end result? Are you suddenly some sort of great creation that has been remade? No. What it is is what's been removed from you is an infirmity or a disease or something that afflicted you and it puts you back into the original state that you were originally created to be. 
It's the same way that in the Torah we read all the time about not becoming unclean so that we can remain clean and in the presence of God. Be holy for I am holy. We're not made holy by the things we do. We're holy because God made us that way. It's the things we do that make us unholy and unclean. So when we do those things, sometimes the result is some sort of disease, some sort of infirmity that comes against us. And so what he did was he came and he healed the people so that they can return back to a place of cleanliness, of holiness, and be in the presence of God. That's what we read about the sacrifices of the altar service, is that those were done so that somebody could return back to the presence of God. It wasn't you were supposed to come before, before you brought an offering, you were supposed to repent of your sin and have the forgiveness. You brought the offering so you could return back to the presence of God. That's what it was for. So when Yeshua comes and walks the earth, he's preparing the people to walk with God by healing them and bringing them back to an original state of holiness so that then they can believe. We have all of these healings that take place. And he says, and he goes, and he tells some that your sins are forgiven. And then the people start to whisper and murmur, and they say, how can he say such a thing? Only God can forgive sins. They started to put the pieces together. As he continues on, like I said, he continued to teach in many, many parables, asking many, the disciples answered, asked many questions, he answered many. There was one... There was one story that I think I remember, a healing that took place that as I reread the Gospels this week, there was one that I remembered that I don't remember it being spoken or, or having really heard it. Isn't it amazing when you read the scripture and something new kind of comes alive? Does everybody remember the healing of the centurion's servant? That he came, he had heard of all the healings that had taken place, and he comes and asks, and he says he has a servant, he's laying home, paralyzed. Yeshua said to him, I will come and heal him. This is chapter 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Yeshua heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, the Lord, and Yeshua said to the centurion, go on your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. Even early on here, before we even get into the Acts, before we even get to Cornelius and the, and the first believer, uh, Gentile believer after the resurrection, do we not forget that there was such faith in a man not naturally born of Israel? That those that came and followed, it doesn't matter where you're from, what your heritage is, you have the faith and you can be, express that faith. And he had the humility. Even as a centurion who ordered many people around, he then still came humbled and said, even I'm not worthy of you entering under my roof. And the Lord said, 
There's not even such faith in all of Israel. So it's not about, like I said, the words on the page. It's also not about where you come from. But when you have the faith in him, then he can put healing upon you and upon your household. No matter who you are or where you're from. We remember Cornelius all the time. But man, what happened to this guy? There's another story, Matthew chapter 15. When Gentile, another Gentile grows in her faith. Verse 21 of chapter 15. Yeshua went out and departed from the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region, cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Yeshua answered and said, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that same, that very hour. That even when somebody has an understanding that the blessings of the table, the crumbs and the things that the father brings and puts on his table to bless his household, that someone even understands that even to the littlest of the little of the household, they too can receive the blessing. That was counted as faith to her. Again, another Gentile. So anyone saying or proclaiming that they have, that, that, that might stand up and will not humble themselves into the belief that it's, the, I, I said before, I said this last week in the first five, that the king will, the master of the house, will have a feast at his table. And some will reject that feast, even if they had a place setting at that table. And the ones, the people, that, whether they're naturally born or they're of, of Israel, they had a place to sit at the table, but they reject it. And so he says, go out in the field and bring me anyone, the sinner, the leper, the Gentile, whoever, and they will receive the blessing at the table. Any of us can have that faith. As it continues on, as he continued to walk the earth and as he continued to teach, the religious leaders at the time, they knew they had to do something because they were losing control. Because they were the epitome of man-made religion and control. But what we had was we had the living God walking the earth and teaching the people as they needed to hear. He entered into Jerusalem and started teaching in the temple. Many more parables. And there's so many more parallels between what he did and how he progressed through the process of entering into Jerusalem and preparing himself to be the Lamb of God's sacrifice. And as we come here to Passover, that's what we teach. That's what we teach the children. And you're supposed to, the, the whole story about bringing a lamb into your household and you're to examine the lamb and then the lamb is to be sacrificed and to be eaten at the Passover Seder and that it was the feast of redemption. And there's so many connections to connect that to Yeshua and his sacrifice and all of those things. And 
in our movement here today, as we look to all of the traditions and all the things that we keep, sometimes we forget the true redemptive power that Yeshua and who he was when he walked the earth. That we sometimes hold faster and we remember more readily the traditions and the things that we hold and the teachings of men and all of those things than, and forgetting the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of mankind that the living God humbled himself, brought himself low, and he paid the price for us and not any other sacrifice that we could have brought. He made covenant with the disciples at a Seder, and he said, partake of me. This bread is my body. This wine is my blood. He wanted to impart himself upon and put his spirit inside of the people. That's also what I believe when he did all the healings. That whenever he healed somebody, and I talked about in the sacrifice a couple of weeks ago, that you would lay your hands upon the sacrifice so that you would put a part of you into the sacrifice and it was you that was being offered. When Yeshua laid his hands upon someone, he was putting a part of himself upon them so that they could be healed. When the woman grasped at the hem of his garment and just barely glanced it, he knew someone had touched it because he felt a part of him go into the healing of someone else. And so then the culmination of that at the Last Supper, when he is telling us to eat the bread and drink the wine, that we are to put the word of God, we are to put him, his life, his spirit, inside of us so that we can be a light to the nation, so that we can show and be that example. He was hung on a tree, crucified. And many of us look, and and in the modern day, there's a great number of believers here today in the world. We have Christianity, which is the largest religion in the world. And because of all of these things and the things that he did, there is now that great multitude of people that believe. And they did so with not hearing Torah in a synagogue every week, but they did so with hearing the good news and the good word of what the living God did for them. It is not the services that we do. It's not the commandments that we keep and the deeds that we do that causes us to have that faith in him and to have that eternal life. Because if it is, then there's a great number of people that don't keep those commandments, that don't follow that word, and if that's the case, then they don't have eternal life. I don't believe that's the case. It's because they have seen, they've heard the words and the encouragement and it's been written into their heart and into their spirit to know that the living God is real and alive and powerful. Now they do look to that cross. They look to that, that beam and the crossbar and the stake that was in the ground and they look to that and that is the sign of the redemption, yes. But One of the things that I want to encourage is that it's greater, it's more than that. That that sacrifice, not on a stake, but on a tree, was the redemption that goes all the way back to the garden. Because it's all one story. 
that the original sin that took place on a tree, at a tree, and that Yeshua, he pays the, he pays the price. He is the God that, who made covenant with man, and he paid the price. Even though we deserved it, he paid the price. And he makes the repair at the place of the breach, which was at a tree in a garden. That it's all one story from creation to the redemption of Yeshua the Messiah and what his sacrifice means to us. And he conquered so many things. He conquered temptation. If he, as he walked as a man, if he didn't conquer the temptation, then how could we ever have hope that we can conquer any temptation? If he didn't fight that temptation, if he failed at that time, then what hope do we have? But he did. And then he, when he was taken off of the execution stake and he was put in the ground and he was put into the earth. And after three days, the stone was moved and he was raised again and death was conquered. And it's by that act that we can know that we have eternal life because even the grave has been conquered by the Messiah. He is alive. He is risen. There's many people that might argue that he was just a man or that some of these things didn't happen. There is still one thing that you will not find disputed, not in biblical sources or anywhere else. It's two words. Empty tomb. If he was just a man, then why is there an empty tomb? We have the example. The grave was conquered. You also have this example here. The disciples walked the earth afterwards. They went into the nations, teaching all, with the great commission, teaching all that Yeshua had commanded. And they were persecuted. Pretty bad. If you go into any of those stories and find out what happened to every single one of the disciples... It's a tragedy. And you have no story in the history books of any point in time that any one of them ever stood up and finally through all the torture, through all the pain, stood up and said, nope, it's all a lie. We stole him from the grave. You won't find it. These men saw what they saw, believed what they believed, and though the world came against them trying to prove that it's not real, they still took it to the grave. It happened. The Messiah is risen. And he is alive. He's the living God who saves us. If he's alive today, then we, why can't we be healed and saved in the same way that the first century believers were? Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. He's sitting there quietly. <laughs> Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, and hateful and hating one another. 
But when the kindness of the love of our God and our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Yeshua the Messiah, our Savior, that have been justified by his grace, that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. We all have come from a place of being disobedient, of being foolish, of being hateful to one another, serving after various lusts and pleasures. We've all made that mistake. No one is immune from that. But he is the God who saves. And there's a regeneration that comes from him, a renewing of the Holy Spirit inside of us. How many of us truly turn to the Savior when all of these things happen in our lives? Do we go and look and check at which Torah commandment we may have broke? Do we look for some other means or justification as to the mistakes that we made? Or do we just put our hands up to our Lord and Savior and say, Lord, save me. Heal me. It's not by any works that we do or any credentials that we might have. Paul spoke of that. Philippians chapter 3. Paul speaking here, beware of dogs and beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, but we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Messiah Yeshua, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, speaking of himself, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, he was a Pharisee who studied the law all the time. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church early on, and he, had, he was zealous. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. But what things were gained to me that I have counted loss for Messiah? Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Messiah and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Any credentials that we have to walk before him doesn't matter. Paul knew this, but the goal is to have the faith in the Messiah, his resurrection, that is from God, that is only comes from God. That was the goal of all things. But he is a loving God. He shows loving kindness. We might come and we might think anything that we do, that we just, if we make a mistake, and then all we do is wait for judgment. 
but we have confidence in the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, for if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation that will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be the thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and as the Lord, and again, The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It's a good thing that the living God is a loving God. Because without his loving kindness, that which comes from the Torah, we have the attributes of God that he shows loving kindness to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, sin, and transgression. For all have sinned and fallen short. But when we do sin... Do we just sit waiting for judgment? Or do we turn to the Savior who made sacrifice for us? Confessing our love for him as he loves us. He wants us to choose him. We have to choose it. He can heal us. He can bring us into a a state of, of being holy and pure and ready to go into his presence. But we have to make the choice to go into that presence or to make that confession in him. As I said last week, the sacrifices were voluntary. But if given the choice, would you be the one bringing the offerings or would you sit in your tent waiting for the kingdom to come? We have to turn to him. We have to choose him. We have to confess our faith in him. He is our high priest who comes in and dwells inside of us. He wants to put himself in to his people. He wants to make covenant with them. But we have to choose to eat the bread and drink the wine and accept the covenant. We have to make that choice. How many times do we, some of us maybe make that choice when we're young, when we're little, when our faith is just new and fresh. But then life gets in the way and we ignore it and we grow in knowledge and maturity and then we somehow sometimes think that we have it all made and we know how the story ends and, it's, and we just get caught up in life. But we forget the salvation that the living God offers to us and we just don't remember. But we have times and seasons. We have the Passover season that we can come and we remember the redemption We remember the covenant, and that's the main thing we are commanded to do, to make a memorial, to remember what happened. But we get caught up in what's leaven, what to take out of our house, when to do it, how to do it, what traditions, all of these things. 
and we forget to remember the greatest event in human history where the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came down and made covenant with us and offered himself and taught us and did all of those things and the salvation that he brings. Not only the salvation from slavery in Egypt through Moses, but the salvation through the slavery of the slavery of sin that Yeshua delivered us from because of his sacrifice. Can we just remember that? Can we just make a memorial that is honoring of remembering that? It's the greatest story ever told. Can we just not get so caught up in the teachings of men and traditions and just raise our hands to the Heavenly Father, our Savior, and confess our love to Him? We get so caught up. Many other people raise their hands for whatever other reason in this world. We tell stories, uh, or there's all of all the, all the mythologies and all the things that, that man creates and substitutes for trying to understand a belief in something greater than us. We tell the stories of superheroes, and people raise their hands in fiction looking for a savior. But it is not fiction for us that we can raise our hands to the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and ask for salvation because he is the living God who saves. If anyone has ever struggled with that, understanding that, to receive that love that has been offered to us, I pray that you would go find one of the leaders and talk to us. We'll pray with you. We cannot forget our first love. If you need to renew it, if you have to do it new for the first time, we cannot forget it because it is not the Torah and the words on the page that is the foundation of our faith, but it is the salvation and the love of Yeshua the Messiah that is the unshakable foundation. The words on the page simply confirm what's already there. That is what we have to build our house upon. And I don't care what happened in chronological order. If the Torah from Sinai was given first, thousands of, a thousand years before Yeshua walked the earth, we worship a God that exists outside of time. And however his instruction reaches you, whether it was something that happened before, whether it's something that happens in the present, he is speaking to you because the word of God is alive however you might receive it. From the encouragement of a counselor or a pastor or from reading the book for yourself. Receive the words and know and understand that we have a loving God who reaches out his gift of salvation to us and all we have to do is choose him and accept it and receive the salvation of eternal life. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day and here at the time of Pesach and of unleavened bread, Father, I pray that we would renew our covenant with you, that we would partake of the bread, partake of the wine, and accept the covenant that you offer to us, Lord. 
And that is not a new covenant, Lord. It is not something that has never been seen before, Lord. But you have expressed it since the foundations of the earth. Your desire to build a house. To dwell with your people. For us to choose you. Father, I pray that you would renew in us a right spirit. Give us clean hands and a pure hearts, Lord. Let us remove any leaven, any sin, anything that is not of you that has been left over. Let let us cast it out from our lives as we throw it away from our homes so that we can return back to an original state that you made us to be holy. And once we are, have returned to that state, then we are worthy of being in your presence and dwelling in your house. So Father, I pray that we would renew that spirit and that we would be your people and that we would be the generation, Lord, that we would see the kingdom come. So please bless us this day, Lord. We thank you for your loving kindness, your salvation, and your redemption through our one and only Savior, Yeshua of Nazareth. We thank you, Lord, for the price that he paid for sending your Son. And we thank you, Lord, that he is risen. And there is not one who can stand against us and say that he is just a man, Lord but that we know in our hearts and in our spirits, Lord, that it is true and he is alive in us. So we love you and bless you and thank you on this day. We give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. It's in your son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke in motion and said, Tell Aaron and his sons the way you shall bless the children of Yisrael. Yivarechecha Adonai Vayishmarecha May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Uh, last night put the heavy on me. Oh.